The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here's your 5 at 5. We're going to start with taking a pause. Stocks set up to snap their longest win streak since June after yesterday's late-session big tech rally. Futures right now, they are lower. Investors may be pricing in no more hikes, but that's not stopping one Fed head from going to the record in favor of over-tightening. Just take a look at what Australia just did. Making it official. SoftBank backed WeWork files for Chapter 11 protection. Plus, UBS swings to its first quarterly loss since 2017. We're going to hear from the CEO in just a moment. And then later, the bond market rally helping one stock sector in a very big way ahead of some closely watched results. It's Tuesday, November the 7th, 2023. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we kick things off with a check of U.S. stock futures. Taking a look right now, you can see futures there are in the red across the board. Looks like the Dow would open up just about 95 points lower right now. The major average is coming off a modestly higher session yesterday with the S&P riding its longest win streak since June, up eight days in a row. The Nasdaq up seven straight sessions, its longest win streak since January. We're also checking the bond market right now. The 10-year ticking back above 4.6%. You can see uh, the yield curve across the board still below 5% right now. We're also looking at the energy market, specifically oil. We're gonna, as always, we start with WTI. WTI trading at about $79 a barrel, down about 2% this morning. Brent crude at about 83.45, also down 2%. Natural gas uh, down just about 1%. All right, we're going to turn our attention back over to the markets. The Fed's work to get inflation down, not done yet, according to one central bank chief. Speaking with the Wall Street Journal, Minneapolis Bank President Neil Kashkari says he is not convinced the rate hikes are over. Kashkari went on to say he would rather err on the side of over-tightening instead of not doing enough to get inflation down to the Fed's target of 2%. Kashkari added that under-tightening will not get the Fed to that goal in a reasonable time. For more, let's bring in Vance Howard, CEO of Howard Capital Management. Vance, good morning. Great to have you here. Good morning, Frank. How are you? All right. So, Vance, you say investors, they really need to trade on math. We're hearing this from Neil Kashkari now saying that he believes that the over uh, the Fed's tightening should continue. In your mind, does that change the math for investors? It doesn't really change the math. You know, Frank, you and I were talking a couple of days ago about where the markets, the market ran up off this dovish Fed news that Fed Chair Powell had last week. And we're not so convinced this is a new, uh, new sustainable rally. We're coming up and hitting resistance right here. He was dovish in his talk, but you know, he's, he's, he said a lot of different things over a lot of different times. So I don't know if I would really take a lot of, a lot of weight with that, but I think we're hitting resistance here. I think investors need to be cautious. I think this might've just been a short covering rally from last week. All right. So you think it might just be a short covering rally. Uh, You're also looking at the S&P 500, the fact that it's just peaking above its 50 day moving average. When you look at the moving average line, we're going to show in a second, you can see it is going on a downward trend. What does that say to you? 
Well, from a technical standpoint, this is concerning. You know, the S and P five hundred closed about seven days under the uh, the uh, uh, two hundred day moving average, which is incredibly bearish. But it did close back above that. If you look at the equally weighted S and P five hundred, you can look at the ETF. I think it's RSP. It's negative for the year. So if you have not been in the the magnificent seven, there's really not been a broadening out of this market. Now we are getting a little bit more bullish on small caps. I can see some opportunities in small caps, but even again yesterday, uh, Frank. You know, eight of the 10 sectors were down. All right. So you're saying you're bullish on small caps. You actually have a pick for us, Vance. Love when you bring the picks. It's VBK. That's the ticker. It's the Vanguard small cap fund. Uh, since the pause, whether you think it was hawkish or dovish, it's been trading just about in line with the market. But I do want to ask you, I'm looking at the top holdings on the VBK. I'm seeing Axon 72 times forward earnings, PTC 32 times forward earnings. Right now, why are you so confident in these high valuation stocks in small caps? Well, I think, you know, to answer your question there, I think that you shouldn't be buying it as a, the individual stocks. I think it's like finding a needle in a stack of needles right now. But I think VBK has some really good value. I think it's pulled back down to a place that is extremely oversold. And I think it's good for a good intermediate term to a long-term investor to be looking at that ETF for a longer-term play. I think it's going to play out very well over the coming months and years. All right. So are you bullish on all small caps or is it particularly this one? This is a more uh, growth-oriented fund. I like the growth-oriented fund, Frank. I think VBK is a great place to a great place to be right now. I think that you've got a lot of opportunity there and a lot of uh, optimism in the next six to twelve months that this ETF could do pretty well. All right, Vance Howard, always great to see you. Right now, you believe the market might be overbought. We'll have to continue to watch, Vance. Thank you for being yeah. here. All right, thank time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Savannah Hanau is here with those. Savannah, good morning. Hey, Frank, good Tuesday morning to you. Well, it's official. We work filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in a New Jersey federal court late yesterday. The office sharing company says it has entered into agreements with the vast majority of its stakeholders, adding it intends to trim what it calls non-operational leases. The filing marks the latest chapter in what's been a historic fall from grace for the SoftBank-backed company, securing a $47 billion valuation in 2019 before going public via SPAC in 2021, where it quickly lost about 98% of its market value. Outgoing Morgan Stanley CEO James Gorman giving more insight into his future with the investment bank. Speaking at the Global Management Dialogue Forum in Tokyo this morning, Gorman says he will vacate his post as chairman as well by the end of next year, adding, quote, it's time for my successor to forge forth without me around and take this company to new levels. Gorman officially loses his CEO title in January. And call it a win for Kathy Wood's ARK Invest, the company's flagship fund, the ARK Innovation ETF, Monday selling part of its sizable stake in Roku after the stock jumped nearly 50% towards the end of last week on some better-than-expected quarterly results. ARK is the second-largest shareholder in Roku, holding about 8.4% of its outstanding shares, Roku is currently ARC's largest holding, Frank. Lana, thank you very much. We'll see you a bit later in the show. All right, we have a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, the Fed may be pausing, but another major central bank is turning back to hikes after a five-month pause. Plus, UBS swings to a loss for the first time in years, blaming it on the integration of Credit Suisse. And then later... China surprises to the upside with its latest batch of economic data, why one fund says investors all around the world should take notice. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. 
ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Taking a look at U.S. futures right now. You can see they're in the red across the board. The Dow looks like it would open up just about 100 points lower. The S&P and the Nasdaq down just about a quarter of a percent. Let's see how Asia did overnight and how Europe is shaping up as its trading day gets underway. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is live in our London newsroom with much more. Juliana, good morning. Frank, good morning. Well, after another decent session on Wall Street yesterday, the Asian session took a little bit more of a downbeat tone. We got red across the board. The Shanghai Composite ending just a touch in negative territory. The Hang Seng underperforming, dropping about 1.7%, and the Nikkei 225 pulling back by about 1.3% in Japan. Now, despite the muted performance in Shanghai, we did have a lot of focus on Chinese data. Imports unexpectedly returned to growth in October, rising 3%, which was a huge swing from their previous decline of 6 0.2% in September. Exports, on the other hand, did disappoint. They dropped by more than expected. So a little bit of a mixed bag in terms of that data. And that's perhaps why we saw not a huge reaction in the Chinese market mainland-wise. The Reserve Bank of Australia, meanwhile, hiked its cash rate by 25 basis points to 4.35%, its highest level in 12 years. Now, over to Europe this morning. We've got a mixed picture in terms of trade, with things turning a little bit more downbeat in the last half an hour. So we've now just got a touch of green on the board in the Swiss market at one stage. All three of these major markets were in positive territory. The French market underperforming down by about half a percent. We are seeing uh, some individual movers take focus this morning. Watches of Switzerland, a major move to the upside this morning after delivering a strong earnings update. Uh, They expect to double profit by 2028, driven by growth in the U.S. AB Foods, which owns Primark, also delivered a strong earnings report. We've seen a strong share price reaction there. And UBS in the banking sector performing quite well this morning after reporting a higher-than-expected third-quarter net loss of $785 million after taking a $2.1 billion hit tied to the integration of former rival Credit Suisse. Now, that might sound bad at a headline level, but the underlying business has been performing well, and the integration, in many respects, has progressed so far ahead of schedule. And in reaction, we've got UBS shares trading about 3.6% higher. Frank? Joanna, thanks. thank you very much. We'll actually have uh, Jamana coming up later with much more on UBS. But we're going to stick with overseas action right now. The IMF upgrading its growth forecast for China to 5.4 percent this year, citing the strong post-COVID recovery. But the group still expects the world's second biggest economy to slow down next year due to continued weakness in the property market and weaker external demand. Let's talk more about China and Asia's other major economies. Joining me now is Fred Newman, chief Asia economist and co-head of global research at HSBC. Fred, good morning. Thanks for being here. Good morning. 
All right. So how should investors read the IMF upgrading its China outlook uh, when it comes to growth to 5.4 percent this year? But they have their expectations for next year at 4.6 percent, a slowdown. Well, the 5.4 percent for this is a bit backward looking. We had better numbers out in the third quarter. Remember, there's some distortion still in here because last year growth was very weak. So the year year comparison is quite easy. I think the bigger message here is that we're still looking for a slightly weaker number going to next year. Um, because the headwinds remain in place, particularly for the construction sector, it is such a big sector that unless you see a strong revival there, uh, that's going to cap the ceiling or provide a ceiling for, for economic growth in China through, throughout next year. All right. So we have some other headlines. Uh, Chinese imports, they unexpectedly rose 3 percent year over year for October. But I want you to take us beyond just the headline, because when you look deeper into the numbers, their imports from the U.S., they were actually down about 4 percent. And they were higher, 5% higher for the EU and then 10% higher for other Southeastern uh, Asian nations. What does that mean? How should investors interpret that? Well, a couple of things. One is trade uh, for China is already moving away from the United States. And that's a multi-year process. And you continue to see that in daily data. But there's another issue here, and that is that China continues to import quite a large volume of commodities. Therefore, trade with other emerging markets remains strong, but is importing less machinery, less goods that the United States might sell to China. And so that's where you see this discrepancy at the moment. Uh, China still remarkably is using a lot of raw materials, record imports of copper, for example, but not machinery. Is this also a read on U.S.-China relations and EU-China relations, the fact that we're seeing those those imports decline from the U.S. but rise so sharply from the EU? That may have something to do with it. Uh, Of course, we have tariffs um, that were imposed by the U.S. on China. We have uh, seen Chinese companies buying fewer American goods. Uh, That's just uh, the way things are currently developing. Um, But on the other hand, uh, there are also a lot of cyclical uh, issues here. China is just broadly buying fewer goods. Uh, The dollar is very expensive, for example. So you'd expect China to buy less goods from the U.S., um, but more goods from Europe, which has a cheaper currency relative to the U.S. at the moment. You're hitting on something else I want to talk to you about, the rising dollar. How is that impacting the broader uh, economies of Asia? We mentioned that increase in imports from southeast, eastern Asian nations to China. But in general, how are Asian economies right now? Well, they're still struggling a little bit because the global trade cycle is down, uh, even despite we ha- despite the fact that we have a strong dollar. There are just fewer imports into the United States, fewer into Europe, fewer into large economies. So trade is still uh, not really uh, bouncing back. And a strong dollar, of course, reflects higher U.S. interest rates. And that's a headwind for Asia as well because it raises the interest rate levels across the region. And that, of course, depresses domestic demand as well. I want to come back to that IMF headline again. The IMF raising its growth outlook for China to 5.4 percent this year, but 4.6 percent for next year. Uh, one of the factors for the lower growth next year is the property market. Give us a sense. What's your read on the Chinese property market? Is there continued risk of contagion to other Chinese equities? Well, there's still there's the Chinese equity market, property market continues to uh, struggle a little bit. We haven't seen really a pickup in sales just yet. Um, the government has imposed some stabilization measures, but it will take time to fully gain traction. And it may be another year before you see really full bounce back in construction, for example. So certainly for the coming year, it's going to continuously provide a drag on economic growth. All right. So that's a drag on economic growth. How does that impact U.S. companies get a large portion of their revenues from China? Uh, we've been talking about it for a few weeks. Some of those companies, we're showing them to the audience right now, Yum China, Apple, of course, Elf. How are they impacted by this? 
Well, the construction sector itself doesn't necessarily mean that other types of consumer spending should slow. We've seen, in fact, some improvement in consumer sales. And so there may actually be, if you're a consumer space, for example, there might be a gradual improvement over the coming year. Nothing super quick, but better numbers than this year. So uh, it depends on the sector you're in. Consumers should do much better over the coming year. All right, Fred Newman of HSBC, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate the time. Thank you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, Mario's Magic Mushrooms to the rescue, what Nintendo just did. That's giving some nervous shareholders a bit of a sigh of relief. We are back with much more Worldwide Exchange after this. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories in the morning. We're going to start with shares of TripAdvisor. They're surging on better than expected third quarter profits, uh, uh, better than expected third quarter report. Excuse me. The online travel agency beating on the top and the bottom line. I was kind of right the first time. With sales popping 16% compared to a year ago, those shares right now, they're up almost 11%. Hims and Hers Health also moving higher ahead of the open following better than expected sales for its most recent quarter. And raising outlook for the full year, the telehealth platform also narrowing its loss to $0.04 cents per share compared to $0.09 cents a year ago. Those shares up almost 8.5%. And shares of international flavors and fragrances also gaining some ground, topping third quarter earnings and revenue expectations thanks to higher pricing for its food ingredients and fragrance solutions as well as falling raw material cost. The company also confirming it will continue to work with Icon Capital, agreeing to renominate on Icon Director and Icon Director in an effort to maximize its product portfolio. Those shares up just about 6%. Let's get a check on some of this morning's other headlines outside the world of business. NBC's Philip Mena in New York with the very latest. Philip, good morning. Hi, Frank. Good morning. We begin with the ongoing efforts to stem the continued violence in the Middle East. On Monday, the U.N. Security Council again failed to agree on a resolution in the ongoing Hamas-Israel war. The U.S. has been calling for humanitarian pauses in the fighting, while other council members want a wider ceasefire. It comes as Israeli forces have encircled Gaza City. Former President Trump took the witness stand at his New York civil fraud trial Monday. The judge repeatedly admonished Trump and his legal team over his combative answers regarding the legitimacy of his real estate empire. At one point, the judge called parts of Trump's testimony irrelevant and warned him that he was not at a campaign rally. The trial resumes tomorrow. Finally, the Jets had no answers for the Chargers on Monday Night Football. New York's offense once again failed to take flight. L.A.'s defense held them to just two field goals while sacking Jets quarterback Zach Wilson eight times. This is the Chargers' second win in a row, ending the Jets' three-game winning streak. Much more Worldwide Exchange after the break. It's right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's still a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. The stock rally potentially facing some fresh pressure today after the Nasdaq notches its longest win streak since January. Right now, futures are in the red. A different story for shares of Intel, getting a bump on a report that it could be in line for billions of dollars in fresh funding. Also, DR Horton results are due out in just about an hour, shedding fresh light on the health of the home builder sector in a world of growing headwinds and higher rates. It's Tuesday, November the 7th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start the day. As always, we pick up the half an hour with a check. 
on U.S. stock futures after marginal gains to kick off the new trading week. The S&P 500 right now riding its longest win streak since June. The Nasdaq, its longest win streak since January. However, take a look at this. Futures solidly in the red. However, the Dow off of its lows of earlier today. Looks like it would open up about 65 points lower. We want to take a look at the bond market. Take a look at yields here in the bond market right now. As always, we begin with the benchmark 10-year. 4.6 right now, just ticking up just a bit, a few basis points. But very important to note, take a look here. The two-year yield still below 5%. The long bond, well below a 5% yield, falling very sharply after that pause from the Fed, whether you think it was hawkish or you believe it was dovish. We also want to look at the oil market right now, coming off its second positive session in the last three. Right now, falling this morning, you can see right now, WTI crude trading at about 79.20 a barrel, down 2%. Similar story for Brent crude, well below $90 a barrel at 83.40. Natural gas, the least impacted, kind of an outlier from what we normally see at this hour, down just about 1%. All right, that's your setup for the U.S. markets. It's now time to get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Frank, good morning to you. Well, shares of Intel getting a boost ahead of the open. This on a Wall Street Journal report, the company is the front runner to receive billions of dollars in government funding for facilities producing chips for U.S. military and intelligence applications. The journal says the plants would be part of the $53 billion Chips Act and part of a push by the U.S. to reduce the military's dependence on chips imported from East Asia, specifically Taiwan, over concerns about its vulnerability to a potential invasion by China. Separately, Reuters is reporting Intel is scrapping a planned investment in Vietnam that could have nearly doubled the chipmaker's operation there. Saudi Aramco reporting a 23% drop in net profit with its third quarter results. The state-owned oil giant citing lower crude prices and volumes for the drop. Despite the dip, Aramco upholding its more than $29 billion dividend payout. And Sheehan reportedly seeking a valuation of up to $90 billion for its anticipated IPO here in the U.S. Now, according to Bloomberg, the price tag for the Singapore-based fast fashion platform is up from the $64 billion it was given following a funding round back in May. But it's still below last year's $100 billion valuation. The report adds talks are ongoing about the details of that public offering, Frank. All right, a lot to watch there. Silvana, thank you very much. All right, we're going to turn our attention now over to earnings as a number of companies prepare to open up their books today, including Gilead Sciences, Uber, eBay, and many other companies. Our Pippa Stevens and Diana Olick have much more on what to watch from Occidental Petroleum and DR Horton. Occidental's report comes as energy markets struggle for direction, reacting to demand slowdown fears on one side and a potential escalation in the Middle East lifting prices on the other. Wall Street is expecting the company to earn 84 cents per share on $7 billion in revenue, according to estimates from LSEG. But executive commentary is the key here, including around the company's production plan looking forward, guidance around its shareholder returns program, as well as any insight on how the M&A market is looking. Deal activity in the energy patch is rising on the heels of the Chevron Hess and Exxon Pioneer natural resources deals. The company is slightly outperforming the energy sector this year, although Occidental is still in the red for 2023. Still, Bank of America recently called the company a top pick thanks to the so-called Berkshire put. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway has amassed a big stake in the driller, adding to its position as recently as a few weeks ago. As of October 25th, Berkshire owned 25.8 percent 
of Occidental. Now, now I want to toss over to Diana Oleg with a look at the earnings for DR Horton. DR Horton is the nation's largest home builder, and they also have a big entry-level line, Express Home. So they're really the one to watch to see how badly higher mortgage rates are playing into the builders. Recent reports from other big builders have showed continued strength as the builders benefit from low existing home supply and the ability to buy down mortgage rates. Now, the company's stock is still positive year to date and really surged last week when mortgage rates plunged. But take a look at rates during the quarter being reported. Pretty volatile, but generally going up. The 30-year fixed was in the 6% range briefly, but then well into the 7s. So that's what we're watching closely. Commentary on rates, buy-downs, incentives, and how all of that may be hitting Horton's bottom line. Another important metric will be cancellation rates, as some buyers may no longer qualify for for mortgages that they did when they first signed the deal. Frank. Let's dive deeper into what to expect from DR Horton. We are now joined by Jade Romani, Managing Director in Commercial Real Estate Finance at KBW, a Stiefel company. Jade, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right, so give us a sense. What's your rating on DR Horton? What's your price target for the nation's home builder? What are you expecting from this report? Sure. Thank you very much. Well, we rate the shares market perform and have a 142 dollar price target. Although we do rate the shares market perform on valuation, we would be inclined to be positive going to going into earnings. And the key is that low inventory trumps rates in today's environment. That's our main takeaway. We think that the home builders have become the only game in town in the housing market. And this is because inventories of existing homes are at record lows. In fact, 50% of a normalized rate. So home builders do have tools in their incentive toolkit via mortgage buy-downs and other incentives that can help mitigate affordability challenges. Got it. So uh, your price target uh, indicates about a 25% upside. You're just about in line with the street with that price target, just for some perspective there. You just mentioned mortgage rates. I want to talk to you about them. So we have definitely seen them pull back. We saw them hit about 8% right now at about 7.5%. How does that impact your view, not only on DR Horton, but the entire home builder sector? Well, I think that the backdrop is that existing home inventory, which is 90% of the housing market, will remain low. And as I mentioned, it's at one, around 1 million units, less than 1% of total households. So the home builders, through their reverse engineering of a more affordable product, as well as their incentives, can help mitigate this supply overhang and also use mortgage buy-downs to create an affordable product. Now, I do think there will be some pressure from rates but they are better positioned than the overall housing market to contend with this headwind. What we're looking for is, did the demand hold up post-September 30th, driven by the low inventory? And number two, are these mortgage buy-downs really crimping affordability? If they can talk to a managed approach to incentives, we think that it'll be enough for the shares to respond positively. All right. So again, that DR Horton report coming up in just about an hour. I want to talk to you about the broader home builder space, looking at the ITB. That's the iShares Home Construction ETF coming off of its best week since May of 2020. Of course, that was just when the pandemic was just kicking off. DR Horton, the top holding there, about 15% of that ETF. How much of that, that spike in that ETF does it, is, is due to people thinking that the Fed is done hiking rates? Uh, the things that we're hearing from Neil Kashkari, does that change that narrative at all? Yeah, I think the outlook for long treasuries is really the, the reason for uh, the recent performance, um, you've seen the 10-year decline from 
about 5% to about 4.6%. And that's a key driver of the uh, long mortgage rate. In addition, the uncertainty about the rate outlook has weighed on mortgage spreads. And so we think mortgage spreads are uh, imputing an additional discount related to that uncertainty. And so to the extent that the Fed is finished hiking rates and long treasuries remain settled, there should be some potential for the absolute mortgage rate to decline. Finally, I would also mention that arm production, which is adjustable rate mortgages, are at record lows and could potentially be poised to increase, thereby helping mitigate this headwind. Well, Jane, I definitely wasn't expecting you to say that. So you think arms are going to make a comeback because arms generally have a lower rate? Well, I wouldn't overemphasize that point, but there is potential for an increase there. All right. Jay Romani, great to have you here. Thank you very much. DR Horton share uh, reports uh, just about an hour. Your price target, 142. We'll have to wait and see the results. Thank you again. All right, coming up Thank here on Worldwide Exchange, the cost of Credit Suisse continuing to hit the bottom line for UBS. We're live at the bank's headquarters with what its CEO is saying on that matter. But first, as we had the break, we got some of your top trending stories. Taylor Swift helping to boost an already red-hot NFL season. TV viewership for NFL games rising by 6% this year due to gains from Amazon Prime Video, ABC, and ESPN, with Thursday night football ratings increasing by 25%, Monday night football up 13%. Speaking of T-Swift, if her recent ketchup mayo combo wasn't enough, a new condiment is coming to town. Heinz unveiling a pickle-flavored ketchup for hot dogs and burgers in response to a new survey showing 73% of Americans enjoy the taste of pickles. I'm, I'm actually all about this. I like pickle juice, personally. I think it's delicious. And Stellantis gearing up for the launch of its own. The company planning to produce its first EV truck, calling it the ultimate answer for battery electric trucks. The Ram 1500 Ram Charger is equipped with an electric generator and gas engine. Just in case that battery runs out, it's expected to go on sale next year. We're back. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up in a moment. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. We start with Evercore initiating coverage of TJX, giving it an outperform rating and a $105 price target. It says it sees multiple paths for the retailer to gain stake in the sector and store remodeling tailwinds are now easing. Shares of TJX up just fractionally right now. Another initiation on a retailer, this time from RBC on Home Depot, giving it a sector perform rating and a $303 price target. RBC saying it likes the company long-term, but adds various macro factors present some near-term challenges. Those shares right now, they're flat in the pre-market. And Deutsche Bank downgrading its rating on Peloton to a hold. It says while it remains bullish on the stock, there's a lack of clarity in Peloton's growth outlook. Those shares right now, they're falling 4.5%. Time now for your global briefing. We start with Australia's central bank raising interest rates there for the first time in five months to a now 12-year high. The largely anticipated move by the Reserve Bank of Australia coming in the wake of rising inflation data and consumer spending over the last month. We have a mixed picture out of China with fresh economic data. Imports last month growing by 3%, the first gain since February, but exports dropping by more than 6%, marking the sixth straight month of declines. In the video game sector, Nintendo reporting better than expected sales and profit with its fiscal second quarter results. The video game maker, which continues to get a bump from the Super Mario Brothers movie, and its most recent Zelda game is now raising its full-year forecast. And UBS reporting its first quarterly loss since 2017 as it continues to work through the integration of former rival Credit Suisse. Our Jemana Brissetti is live at UBS headquarters in Zurich and spoke with the big bank CEO. Jemana, good morning. 
Good morning, Frank. Well, this was the first opportunity for investors to get an assessment of a full three months earnings of Credit Suisse within the combined entity. And the reaction from the marketplace today has been pretty positive. We are seeing a positive reaction on the stock, namely because of the following aspects of the report that came through. First of all, there has been a net new money inflow into the bank. A positive development, of course, when you think about the context of how many deposit outflows Credit Suisse saw at the beginning of the year. The second point is vis-a-vis -vis the integration and the language from UBS today and indeed the CEO himself, Sergio Ramati, is that the integration is going even better and faster than they themselves had planned. Here's what he had to say about it. Our target is in excess of, of 10 billion gross savings. So the heavy lift and the, you know, is going to be in 2024. This is where I would say it's a pivotal year for us. So one aspect that emerged today is that out of that $10 billion worth of cost savings they set for 2026 as a target, $3 billion has already come through. This is indeed one quarter faster than they had projected uh, three months ago. So going in line with how they imagined even faster, you could say. Uh, but of course, that entails job cuts. So far today, they have announced that since December of 2022, so one year ago, roughly one year ago, there have been about 14,000 uh, job cuts, that some of them came via redundancy, some of them were voluntary. But that does tell you that when you think about these cost savings, of course, you do have to bear in mind the amount of job cuts that are going to come with that. And that in itself is a focus for the analyst community. But putting it all together, I think people were encouraged by the fact that the operating business, the underlying business, still continues to perform strongly. And those net new money numbers were encouraging as well. All right, so Jamana, uh, UBS shares right now up almost 4%. I also want to focus on something else. I know you spoke with the CEO, but I want to ask you about comments from the UBS chairman calling regulators misguided when it comes to scrutiny of capital requirements. Yes, well, this is obviously a long-standing debate, and ever since the UBS takeover of Credit Suisse earlier this year, there's been a lot of talk about what can be done to strengthen the process and also to limit the bank run, similar to what we saw happen to Credit Suisse in the spring of this year. There have been discussions um, about potentially imposing exit fines on customers looking to withdraw deposits or even rewarding customers for placing their deposits for a longer period of time. But ultimately, though, Frank, one thing that investors are cheered on today is that their CET1 ratio is still sitting at 14.4%. That is quite healthy if you think about everything that UBS has gone through the last couple of months. And actually, the CEO, Sergio Ramazzi, is so encouraged by it that he even indicated that there is a possibility potentially of a share buyback being announced as soon as the beginning of next year. He said earlier today it was a matter of quarters. So uh, I think what the chairman was trying to reaffirm to the investment community is that the capital position of UBS is still quite healthy, irrespective of all these discussions that are going on the sidelines about capital requirements in general. All right, our Germana Brissetti live in Zurich covering the earnings from UBS. Those shares up just about 4%. Germana, great reporting as always. Great to see you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today. Plus, where our next guest says the Fed could potentially have a surprise up its sleeve for investors in the coming weeks. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Much more WEX coming up after this. We have a market flash for you right now. We're looking at oil and fresh comments out of OPEC+. Plus. The group's secretary general telling a conference in Europe 
It has taken a proactive and preventative approach to achieve a stable crude market this year. He added that OPEC does not see a shortage of investment in refining and petrochemicals. All right, time now for your WEX wrap-up. We're going to begin with WeWork filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection late yesterday. The office-sharing company says it has entered into agreements with the vast majority of its stakeholders, adding it intends to trim what it calls non-operational leases. Minneapolis Federal Reserve President Neil Kashkari telling The Wall Street Journal he would err on the side of over-tightening monetary policy rather than not doing enough to bring inflation down in a reasonable time. Kashkari adding the economy has proven to be resilient, but he's worried about inflation ticking back up again. Facebook owner Meta Platform says it's banning political campaigns and advertisers from using generative AI on its platforms. Before this rule change, Meta only prohibited ads with content proven false by its fact-checking partners with no mention of AI. Bloomberg is reporting SpaceX is on track to book sales of about $9 billion this year across its Rocket and Starlink businesses, with that figure projected to hit about $15 billion next year. The report adds that Starlink is the main driver of that revenue and is set to become the company's dominant sales driver. Kinder Morgan's buying NextEra Energy Partners gas pipelines in South Texas in a deal worth about $1.82 billion. That deal is expected to close in the first quarter of next year. And a win for Kathy Woods Ark Invest. The company's flagship fund, the Ark Innovation ETF, selling a sizable part of its sizable stake in Roku yesterday after the stock jumped nearly 50% towards the end of last week on some better-than-expected quarterly results. All right, we also have some more big money movers for you. We're going to look at shares of TripAdvisor. They're surging right now on better-than-expected third-quarter results, the online travel agency beating top and bottom-line estimates, with sales popping 16% compared to a year ago. Hims and Hers Health also moving higher ahead of the open following better-than-expected sales for its most recent quarter and raising its outlook for the year. The telehealth platform also narrowing its loss to $0.04 cents per share. That's compared to $0.09 cents per share just a year ago. And shares of international flavors and fragrances also gaining some ground, topping third-quarter earnings and revenue expectations thanks to higher pricing for its food ingredients and fragrance solutions, as well as falling raw material cost. The company also confirming it will continue to work with Icon Capital, agreeing to renominate an Icon director in an effort to maximize its product portfolio. All right, here's what to watch today. September trade deficit figures, they're out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. We also get earnings from DR Horton, Uber, eBay, Gilead, and Robinhood. And several Fed officials are speaking throughout this day. They include Kansas City Fed President Jeffrey Schmid, Fed Governor Christopher Waller, New York Chief John Williams, and Dallas Fed President Lori Logan. Also, you don't want to miss an exclusive interview with Chicago Fed President Austin Goolsbee. That's on Squawk Box at 8 a.m. Eastern time. All right, as we gear up for the trading day ahead, let's get one more check on futures and whether the markets can continue to rally. Looking at futures right now, all morning long, they've been in the red. The Dow, though, important to note, off of its lows of earlier this morning, looking like it would open up just about 55 points lower. Joining me now, Malcolm Etheridge, CIC Wealth Executive Vice President and a CNBC contributor. Malcolm, good morning. It is great to have you here. Good morning. How's it going? Let's just take your temperature, Malcolm. Uh, what is your WEX word of the day? How are you seeing the markets right now? Yeah, so my word of the day is uh, brief. As in the current relief rally we've been seeing in the markets will be brief. Uh, I think it could last another two or three weeks as we get ready to gear up for the next Fed meeting. But I really think that as we get closer to that mid-December Fed meeting, uh, a lot of the positive sentiment, uh, save for the, the futures you just ran through, what we're looking at, that at, the, at the open today, uh, will probably start to fizzle out. And I think a lot of what's already happened has been catch-up buying 
for investors who are looking to capture a little bit of what they missed in the first two uh, quarters of the year with the uh, mega cap tech trade. All right. So you're saying it's a bit of catch up buying. Obviously, a lot of this has been sparked by the declining yields, given the markets a bit of a boost. You're looking at bonds as well. What you're actually looking at is the de-inversion of, of, the, of the yield curve. So tell me right now in this moment, why is that so important to you? Yeah, so it's not even necessarily the fact that we are de-inverting or uninverting or however we're technically supposed to say that. Uh, it's really how the, the, the yield curve normalizes. Uh, we really would rather have the twos come down faster than the 10 is rising. And then right now, up until, I guess, the end of last week, it looks like we were going to have the 10 rising a lot faster than the two was coming down, which is what we refer to as a bear steepener, which usually tells us that we're likely to have a lot more longer term pain uh, in the markets. The recession that follows the yield curve, yield curve uninverting typically lasts longer when we have that bear steepener. So we care more about how the yield curve uninverts a lot more than the fact that it does uninvert because that 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 pretty much is uh, inevitable since we call it a normalized yield curve okay so that's part of your longer term outlook as you know right now we really like to focus on the day ahead so i i want to also focus on another uh, area of the market that's seen a bit of a boost since those yields fell the magnificent seven so right now we're seeing the magnificent seven outperform the market what's your view on the magnificent seven i know i know you say there's an opportunity right now mm-hmm yeah, I, I think that the Magnificent Seven is probably going to be the, the knee-jerk trade once again, right? There are folks who, and maybe it's the Magnificent Five at this point, right? People have kind of softened on uh, Meta, and it looks like maybe even NVIDIA. But I think the Magnificent Seven is just going to be that knee-jerk reaction trade once again, like I mentioned, the catch-up buying. I think, though, the opportunity that we've seen created is probably more in uh, the cybersecurity landscape, where uh, Fortinet and their soft uh, earnings report, their soft guidance for earnings has actually created an opportunity, I think more so for folks looking to buy inside of tech who are looking for something outside of the Magnificent Seven. You know, speaking of Fortinet, one of the biggest laggers in the S&P, um, the Fortinet res results that weighed on the whole cybersecurity sector actually have inspired your picks for us today. They are two ETFs, actually, the CIBR, the BUG, both of them cybersecurity ETFs. Where's the opportunity? Where are you seeing the opportunity here? Yeah, so I think sentiment is really the issue here. So Fortinet, uh, in my opinion, is a very specific problem. It's a very unique case. And I think that it just created contagion in the entire uh, landscape. But if you're a person who's looking for, you know, CrowdStrike, Palo Alto, and maybe Zscaler without having to choose the right one at the right time, uh, something like Bug is probably your option because I think 30% of the index last I checked, uh, it just those three names. Or if you're a person who wants a little bit more diversified uh, landscape to get into the cybersecurity space, CIBR is your, your, your pick because it actually has a lot more diversified. I think it's about 30 names Got in it. the cybersecurity space that's spread across their different uh, market caps. Got it. I want to look ahead a little bit. Uh, I'm sure you're aware of Neil Kashkari's comments saying basically uh, he's a, a bit more hawkish than a lot of people took Jay Powell's comments. What do you make of that? How do you see that weighing on the markets today? I think that means that anybody who's anticipating December is going to be a very calm Fed meeting should at least be baking in the idea that we could get one more hike before the year is out. I think the notes from the September Fed meeting kind of laid out that they were expecting there to be one more hike before the year is out. December would be it. And so don't be surprised uh, if we do hear uh, a turnaround, if you will, from the Fed that goes against what the market seems to be expecting today. 
Well, speaking of another hike, that would have a big impact on the on the housing market right now. Um, Dr. Horton reports in just about probably about a half an hour from right now. We had a guest on earlier, pretty bullish, one hundred and forty two dollar price target, seeing about a twenty five percent upside. Are you bullish on the home builders right now? I'm not, actually. I think that what's getting missed there, the housing market is very fragile right now. What's really holding it up is new home sales from people like Dr. Horton, for example. But what's not really being reflected there is the fact that they are buying up, uh, buying down the interest rates to get those homes moving. And that's just not sustainable for a Dr. Horton or whoever, whoever else in that mid-tier market to be buying down the mortgages for the home buyers by sometimes as much as 200 basis points in order to keep from having to bring down prices. That just, that model can't be that sustainable if, if rates continue to linger here, like we're told they probably will, right? Higher for longer. Or if we get another hike, that really could be the thing that breaks the housing market uh, near term. So what you're talking about basically is a stretch consumer, the home builders responding to the stretch consumer by buying down those mortgage rates. I wanna bounce something else off of you. It's today's big consumer stat. 67%, just about two-thirds of U.S. consumers are worried about feeling financially strained this holiday season. That's according to Bank of America. Gen Zers and millennials especially concerned. Um, how does that inform your opinion when it comes to the broader market, but obviously specifically retail? Well, it's tough because we've been hearing that and probably saying that, answering those surveys uh, for the better part of six months, maybe even a year. The consumers stretched, the consumers stretched. Walmart, Target has been telling us this for some time. People are trading down to the next tier product. Um, but at the same time, the GDP report, the last GDP report showed a 4.9% quarterly uh, increase in, in spending. And so it's just tough for me to wrap my mind around a consumer that says it's concerned, that says it feels stretched, mm -hmm. says it's having a lot of pain actually keeping track of its uh, uh, monthly obligations, but at the same okay. time, we're seeing record high spending on all kinds of different uh, entertainment options and things like that. Malcolm Etheridge, great to see you as always. Thank you very much. That's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. we got Squawk Box coming up next. Thank you for watching. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.